Hey, good morning, Calvary Church. Uh, I just want to let you know that I appreciate Aaron and Tom and Gail so much. And anything that they're involved in, I am interested and want to be involved in. So I encourage you to go to our website, calvarylife.org slash global to find out more information about that prayer night coming up at the end of this month. As our prayers matter, as we petition our gracious and compassionate God who loves and cares about people in their deepest despair and in their suffering, God promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And, and that's really the theme of our passage here today in the book of Hebrews. So if you have access to a Bible, please grab it. This is not me just looking and you guys watching, even though you're sitting on a couch watching. I want you to be engaged. And so grab your Bible, open up to the wonderful book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. You have the T books that I call them in the New Testament. You get to 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, then you hit Philemon, and then the great book of Hebrews. Right before you get to the New Testament book of James, if that helps you. Uh, if you have your phone, you can just type in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And we're on the final verses of this wonderful chapter. And really, we're kind of in the home stretch of this book of Hebrews. We go chapter 10 today, and then we hit 11 in a few weeks, 12, and then 13. And we've completed this book, which is not only a book, it's, it's a letter. It's a pastoral letter. We don't know the author of this book, but we know that he has a pastor or she has a pastor's heart for the first century church. And so this letter is meant to be read not only by that original first century church, but by us as God inspires through his spirit, his word into our lives in 2020. And so look with me in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32, and we'll simply read all the way to the end of the chapter. It says this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But remember, the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by, me, by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a, a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have a need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. I have come in my study of this passage to love these words, God's word to us. And I pray that as we walk through it together as a church family in the next few minutes, that you'll grow to love and be encouraged by this passage here as well. And we're reminded that the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So there's a lot you can be doing today, but this is something that you can count on, that you can have confidence in, will endure forever. God's word. As we look at this idea of suffering and this idea that what happens when you just repeatedly suffer, you're in this chronic state of suffering. It just over and over again, you go through trials and tribulations and even perhaps persecution. How do you survive in that type of chaotic environment? 
What do you do when your suffering threatens to, to outlast your faith in Jesus? The way my mind worked, I thought of a little story that maybe you'll connect with. Uh, this is a bass, and I don't know if you can see this on your screen, but it's a little cute little uh, cricket uh, on top of that bass's uh, snout. Uh, a few years ago, I went bass fishing, and I was introduced to the idea of using crickets as bait. I, bass love uh, the, the jiggling and, and moving around of live crickets. And so we went to a little sporting goods store up in the mountains, and we bought, and we, we looked through this bucket of crickets. And I was just imagining, maybe it's because I have a lot of empathy, I don't know, but uh, I was imagining these poor crickets just stuck into a life of living in a giant bucket. I mean, there was like literally thousands of crickets in this bucket. And I imagine the crickets thinking at that moment, I'm suffering, life can't get any worse. But then I came along and uh, with a guy from the store, we went in and, and he grabbed a, a, a little box full of live crickets. And so now this little cricket's probably thinking, okay, my life was bad in the bucket, but now it's even worse as I'm confined into a smaller basket box here. But oh, cricket, just wait. So then we drove over to the lake and we took our little basket of, of live crickets and I got my fishing hook attached to the pole and I took one of those crickets and squeezed him out of this little basket and brought him out of the basket. And at this point, I'm thinking the cricket's going, okay, now my life is really bad. I was in this giant bucket with all my friends and then I got pulled out of that and now this human squeezing me, but it gets worse. Then I took the cricket and sorry if you're eating your breakfast right now, um, but I, I, I put it on the hook, I impaled it on the hook. And now the cricket's thinking, okay, now I'm suffering. This can't get any worse than this. But oh, little cricket, it was about to. As then I got my fishing pole and cast it out into the lake. And now this poor little cricket from the bucket to the basket, to my fingers, to the hook, and now is flying through the air only to land in the cold water. And now I'm certainly the cricket saying, okay, my suffering has finally come to an end. This, this can't get any worse. But as you can see from the photo, it did as a bass now comes swimming along and gulps up the cricket. I mean, if you weren't depressed before this week, then just think of this poor little cricket's life. <laughs> and in my mind, and I don't know if you trace this as like I do, but that's a lot like what was happening to the first century church. They experienced hardship after hardship, difficulty after difficulty, trial after trial, temptation, temptation, persecution. And I imagine them thinking to themselves, it can't get any worse. And then it did. And it continued to get worse as they experienced really a lifetime of suffering. And so here is the author of Hebrews in a pastoral way saying, I just want to encourage you. I know that you're going through a lot of suffering. Don't give up. Endure this suffering. It will be worth it. I mean, think about this week as we experienced uh, the smoky skies here in Southern California and really all over the West Coast. 
Uh, if you're like me, didn't you have a moment where you thought, okay, what else, right? What else can go wrong in 2020? I saw something on social media earlier this week that has a countdown to the end of this year. And I think that's just so appropriate, right? As we're all feeling this weight on us of going, oh, what else can happen in our world? Well, that's exactly how the first century church was feeling. Maybe even to a greater extent, I would argue. Amazingly, though, they were young Christians. I would call them baby Christians. But they displayed a giant faith. Look back in verse 32 here of chapter 10. It says these words, I've highlighted them for you because I want you to pay attention. It says, but remember the former days. Throughout the, throughout the scriptures, there's this constant encouragement to remember, to look back on God's faithfulness, to, to not forget. The people in these ancient times were forgetful. We have the same DNA, don't we? We often frequently forget God and who he is, his faithfulness. And so here this author of Hebrews is saying, hey, hey, push pause on the busyness of your life. I want you to remember. Remember the former days when after being enlightened. This is a beautiful word to describe what happens to someone when they accept and place their faith in Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us in other parts that we are dark, we are dead in our sins. Pre-Jesus, we are living in darkness. But when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the light of Christ shone on you and through you, right? And you became enlightened. Not because of your great wisdom and your intellect, knowledge, but because Jesus is in your life. You have the spirit of God now in you. This isn't a term that we often use as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Like, when were you enlightened? What was that Harvest Crusade 20 years ago? Or was that, it was at VBS. We don't say this word, right? But I, I think it's a great word to kind of recapture in our Christian lives. That, that remember these former days when, when you were enlightened, when you placed your faith in Jesus. Now remember these first century Christians who uh, the book of Hebrews is originally addressed to. They were the first generation Christians. There had been no followers of Jesus before them. We think that the book of Hebrews may be written in the late mid 60s AD, so probably about 30 years after Jesus had gone to the cross and then had resurrected. And so these Christians in those early years were, were babies. They were learning about who Jesus was and, and this, this faith that had now come upon them. They've never seen an example of someone older than them walking with Jesus. And so here they are going into the dark and now they're lightened by Jesus. And then it says you endured a great conflict of suffering. If you look in the original language of, of how the author writes this, this word great conflict describes like a scene on an athletic field which feels appropriate today as the NFL begins, right? It's this, this battlefield, and it's saying that these brand new Christians, these, these early Christians, they, they were on this battlefield of suffering. They were in the arena of suffering. And then look again at verse 33. They were made a public spectacle 
And they even shared with those who were being persecuted. This was an honor and shame culture in the first century. And they were constantly being shamed for following Jesus Christ. And then look here at verse 34. This has become one of my favorite passages in the Bible as I've studied it. I love this passage. Pay close attention. Hebrews 10, 34. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners. Again, going back to the original language, the book of Hebrews was written in Koine Greek. And this word sympathy, sympathy that I've highlighted, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean like I send you my sympathies, you know, when you attend a, a memorial service. It's more like this idea of deep compassion, deep love for those who had been sent to prison. Why were they in prison? For simply being enlightened for being followers of Jesus Christ. Not for any criminal act they had put onto somebody else, but just because they were saying, I follow the way, I follow Jesus. Now in this culture, and this actually happens in a lot of underdeveloped cultures uh, even today, is that prisoners weren't taken care of um, by necessarily the prison guard or, or those that were commissioned and paid to do that. They were on their own. And so it was up to their individual families to bring food to the prisoners to, to make sure that they were eating and, and taken care of. Now, a lot of these first century Christians, is, as they experienced persecution, they had their biological families abandon them. Their families, their brothers and sisters, parents, even sons and daughters said, I want nothing to do with you if you're going to follow Jesus. And so by default, these, these people who were thrown into prison for their faith relied on other Christians to show them compassion, to bring them food into prison. The author of Hebrews is reminding these early Christians, remember how you showed compassion and sympathy for those that were persecuted. I feel like that's kind of a lost art today for us here in the West to really have compassion and care and empathy for those that are being persecuted for their faith. I want to even just point us towards one resource that could be really helpful. It's called uh, Open Doors. In fact, uh, their U.S. headquarters are just down the 55 freeway uh, towards Costa Mesa. I encourage you to check out this website as there's stories of real life Christians here in 2020 who are suffering just because they say, I follow Jesus. What would it look like for us to show sympathy, compassion to, to modern day prisoners of faith? I encourage you to check out that website, Open Doors USA. And then verse 34 goes on to say this, and you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Now, in the first century, they were a lot like us in that they didn't have these huge auditoriums, cathedrals to meet in. They met in homes. And as the persecution was rising against these first century Christians, their homes were being seized because the government, the, those that were persecuting them were saying, we, we don't want you to meet as, as this new sect and cult in homes. We're just going to take away your home. And look at these guys' response. They accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. This word joyfully is the same word that's used to describe the disciples when they, say when they see Jesus resurrected from the dead. I mean, it's incredible. How could these baby Christians 
have such deep faith to not only show compassion on their fellow uh, Christians who are in prison, but also to be joyful when their own homes and, and property were being taken. Well, it's because of this. Knowing that you yourselves have a better possession and a lasting one. These Christians understood that their lives were not just about the temporary, but about the eternal. My friend Nancy lives in Shaver Lake um, up in the Sierra Mountains. And, and this week she was reminded of, of what's temporary and what's eternal as uh, the fires raged around her home. This is actually a photo that was taken of two young guys who stayed up all night protecting her home as the fires raged around it. In fact, these guys were so remarkable that only in Nancy's home, one little slat corner of the house ended up burning. One little board, actually to be specific, ended up being charred. The rest of her home was spared because of these two guys' hard work from Cal Fire. Just appreciate uh, our first responders, those that place their lives on the line, particularly during this pandemic. It's incredible. It's, it's a glimpse of, of the sacrificial love of Jesus. But my friend Nancy was reminded this week that this is just a home. It's temporary, but her treasure is found in eternal things. This is what these guys in the first century remembered that they were joyful when their property was taken because they had a better possession and a lasting one. I want us just to take a moment right now and I want us to pray that we here in the 2020 era could live out the same type of faith. That we would show sympathy on those that are persecuted. That we'd accept joyfully when we experience all kinds of hardship, even the loss of our own material stuff that we'd understand we have a better possession. And so right there on your couch, wherever you're watching this, would you just put your hands out like this, just as an act of surrender. We've, we've already sun surrendered this morning. Let's just pray that God would ingrain this deeply into our hearts. So pray with me right now. Father, I just pray that here in 2020, we'd be Christians that would look like first century Christians. That God, that you'd give us great compassion for, for fellow sufferers. Father, that you would help us to understand what's temporary and what's eternal. And Lord, that we would cast our vision on a better possession, one that will never fade away. God, would you just end this moment as we're on our couches, we're kind of relaxed, drinking coffee, just kind of taking this in passively. God, would you just show up right now and speak truth into our lives that, that this is how you've called us to live. So God, empower us to live this way. And we pray this in Jesus. Amen. And so here is the author of Hebrews saying, this is how you've lived now, verse 35, keep doing it. Verse 35 says this, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. He's saying, the author's saying, you've done so well. Now, don't give up. Don't give up as you experience just this suffering that, that continues on and on. Don't give up. Maybe you're in a place today where you've been experiencing suffering. And you can call it different words. Trials, tribulations, obstacles. 
I just want to tell you the same thing as, as this author was telling the first century church. Don't give up. The scriptures here say that we shouldn't shrink back. That we should persevere, that we should endure in our faith. And it's interesting to think through, like, there's some people who, who when they go through just tremendous suffering, you watch their lives and, and the roots of their dependence and faith on Jesus just, just grow deeper. But then there's others of us that as we go through trials and, and hard things, you can just see them pull away. You see them shrink back as, as the author here is warning us. And I think it comes down to our answers of these three questions. These are three questions that we all ask when we suffer. These questions are this, God, have you forgotten me? God, how long will this go on? And God, what's the point? What's the purpose of of my suffering right now? And the text gives us some clues. Verse 36 of Hebrews chapter 10 says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. This question of God, have you forgotten me? Verse 36 alludes to this idea that no, God is watching. God is not some distant, uninvolved God. He is watching as you experience suffering. He's taking this into account and he has rewards awaiting you. But it's not just that he's watching us. God is actually actively involved in walking with us in our suffering. I'll I'll get to that in detail in, in just a moment. God, again, is not abstract. He's not some distant God. He is with us in our suffering. God has not forgotten you. Later in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, we'll read these beautiful words where God says and encourages us, I will never leave you and I will never forget you. Have you taken that truth in in your suffering? Your feelings may betray you. They may say like, God, I don't know where you are, but trust that God is with you as you go through hard things. He is, he'll never leave you. He'll never forget you. One of my heroes when it comes to just her faith in Jesus in the middle of suffering is a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. Maybe you've heard her before or heard her name. Johnny, when she was um, a young adult, dove into a lake and broke her neck and has been paralyzed ever since. You would think that's as bad as it gets, but no, Johnny has experienced hardship after hardship, including multiple bouts, bouts of cancer in her life. She's also experienced depression and basically everything's been thrown at her. And yet Johnny continues to have a deep trust and faith in Jesus. I just wanna encourage you, I would highly recommend this book. You can get it from our bookstore if you'd like throughout the week. But it's this idea, it's called A Place of Healing, Wrestling with the Mysteries of Suffering and Pain and then God's Sovereignty by Johnny Erickson Tata. And she's been a great inspiration, not only for this message, but also in my life, as she proclaims, God has not forgotten you. It's not forgotten her. And then you have this idea of, well, how long will this go on? And the scripture says here in verse 37, for yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. I know in the midst of suffering, it just feels like it just goes on forever. 
It's like the kids in the backseat of a car on a road trip that are like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And yet in God's economy, as God is over time, outside of time, yet within time, he says here, it's just a little while. This will not go on for eternity. I love these words uh, found in 1 Peter, a couple books um, over from Hebrews where it says, after you've suffered for a little while, that same term, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Be confident of this, that this God of grace will do these things in your lives and this suffering will not last for eternity. And then there's this idea of, well, what's the point, God? What's the purpose of me going through suffering? And boy, this is a whole message into itself, but I just want you to hear this this morning, that God supernaturally uses suffering in our life to make us more like him, to make us more dependent, humble, and, and obedient to him. He uses suffering in those powerful ways to change us. I'm so excited for, for this pandemic time and, and the fruit that will result from it as God produces churches and, and followers of Jesus who have deeper roots to their faith, a stronger dependence on Jesus because of what we've all experienced. My dad often reminds me of this quote and I just look up to him as one of the heroes of my faith. My dad says, God never wastes your pain. Maybe we can't understand the purpose of suffering in the midst of it, but God never wastes our pain. He'll use it in our life and in our intimacy with Jesus. He'll use it as we minister to others. Take hold of that. But I understand in the midst of suffering, sometimes we just need a very simple, straightforward thing to do. I'm thinking of my wife as she delivered our four kids. Just a hero. All women, as you, as you go through this, I, I just have such respect for what you have to do. The physical pain that you go through. But in the midst of a labor, you don't want to give a bunch of instructions to a laboring mom. You don't want to say like, <clears throat> okay, well, let me give you some details of what's happening inside your body. And, and this is the kind of time frame we're going to work. And this is, you know, no. You just simply give a very simple instruction. Breathe. Just breathe. And that's what I want to give all of us right now. As we go through suffering, maybe you're just feeling wave after wave of pain right now. I just want to give you a very simple instruction. Hold on to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. We'll look at it in a few weeks, but it says this. Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I read about NASCAR drivers and, and one of the things they have to do to be an effective driver is they have to hug the wall. They have to get as close as they can to that wall without hitting it as they draft and, and fly through the corners. One of the things that I read that NASCAR drivers are instructed to do over and over again is this, don't look at the wall. 
Look and keep your eyes fixed on the road, on the track. Don't look at the walls. It's right there. It's going to be tempting to look up at it, but don't do that. Look at the track. Look in front of you at the road. My simple instruction for us as we undergo pain, suffering, persecution, hold on to Jesus. Look to him. And when you do, you'll find a savior who, who has his own scars from suffering who can understand how you feel because Jesus not only understands suffering because he's God, but understands suffering because he experienced it. Jesus endured it. He stayed obedient and faithful to the father. He is our great example. And Jesus sat down at the right hand of God as Hebrews 12 tells us. He's overcome, conquered, defeated death, sin, and the consequences of death and sin, which is, suffering. Look to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. There's a great quote. I know you've heard it before. God whispers us to our, whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. Look to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus in suffering. Ryan Rail took this photo of our stained glass window above the worship center. This is from the courtyard looking in to the front of the worship center at night this week. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or if you've ever been here at night, but there's this beautiful stained glass that lights up at night. In fact, I even encourage you, if you're going through a hard thing, maybe if you want to come over here to Calvary at night and just sit and look up at the stained glass window and remember even these words from Hebrews chapter 10. But you know, glass is formed by tremendous heat, pain in a sense. And you make stained glass again by putting the colors in and then exposing it to tremendous heat. But then something beautiful is produced out of it, this, this window. God's making something beautiful out of our suffering. Trust him, look to him, hold on to him. It's worth it. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you are a God who understands and cares and is involved in our pain. So God, in this moment, we just invite you into our lives even once again. Change us, transform us, grow deep roots in us. And so that God, that our faith will endure God, thank you that our hope is not in temporary things, but in a lasting possession, eternity with you. We give you our Christian lives once again. Amen. Let's worship.